This is People Every Day. Coming up, inside Sharon Stone's extremely revealing new memoir. My radiance went away. Plus, actress Nazanin Mandy on horror films and life with Miguel. And People Books expert Kim Hubbard shares what to read right now. It's March 30th. Hello, people. This is People Every Day, presented by Macy's. Janine Rubenstein here, and it is Tuesday. I don't know about you, but I am loving the onset of spring. I have my window open right now, and it looks so pretty out there. Unlike my husband, I don't have allergies, so I'm here for all of it. Petals, pollen, I love it. (laughs) You know what else I love? This news I just saw that Game of Thrones is going to Broadway. As a fan, this is epic. Cersei's evil deserves to be set to music, I'm telling you. Oh, and speaking of evil, quick update about Little Nas X's limited release Satan shoes. Yes, the ones with pentagrams and real human blood that sold out in less than a minute. Well, Nike filed a trademark suit against the maker of the shoes yesterday. So the plot thickens there. Anywho, for today's show, we've got a good mix for you. I chat with actress Nazanin Mondi, who's also the lovely wife of singer Miguel, about her new horror flick, Dreamcatcher, and how she and her handsome hubby have been holding up this past year. Then later, People Editor-at-Large and Books Editor Kim Hubbard joins me to discuss some top reads by female authors for this Women's History Month. So... Stick around for that because she's got some good spring break book recommendations. But right now, let's get into today's top story, and that's Sharon Stone. Yes, actress Sharon Stone and her wildly revealing new memoir. East Coast News Editor Liz McNeil is with me now to break it all the way down. Hi, Liz. Hey, Janine. So Sharon Stone, wow. Uh, This book um, has really hit hard. I mean, it's her new memoir, The Beauty of Living Twice. And in it, she talks about everything. So, so, So tell me what has been some of the most jarring headlines out of this. Well, I think what's so surprising about this book is that you really learn about her childhood and how it forged who she was. Mm. She reveals trauma and violence uh, and what she grew up with, um, you know, in real working class uh, Pennsylvania and how it was really way tougher. Uh, and what she survived and lived through uh, is really um, jaw dropping. Yeah. So, so just going back, I mean, we know her from her iconic films and, you know, basic instinct and all of that. But I just knew so little about who she was before all of this. And you, and you get this insight into her childhood. So so tell me a little bit about um, what she did go through as a kid. So she grows up, grows up real working class. She calls uh, her family kitchen sink Irish. So uh, they're tough. Uh, they eat what her father hunts. She reveals for the first time that uh, her father beat her occasionally. Mm. And um, these scenes are really uh, heartbreaking to read. And then there comes a point at when she's 14 years old and she stands up to him. Wow. And so I just want to talk about this this one um, paragraph out of the book that really kind of lays all of that out. Like you, you hinted at it when she put a stop to the abuse. She said, he yelled for me at the bottom of the stairs to come down. I walked up to him and said, what's the matter? Do you need to hit me some more to feel like a man? I was 14. He started to cry. I told him I didn't love him, that I had never loved him, that I would never love him. I was so cold, so still. He was so heartbroken. He never hit any one of us again. 
I was free. Wow. Wow, indeed, right? Think about like the kind of strength that takes for a young girl to stand up to her father uh, in that way. And then interestingly enough, you know, her she also talks about for the first time that her brother, one of her older brothers, uh, became a drug dealer. And at a certain point, her father and mother thinks that she should leave home and that that, that will keep her safer, right? A- away from this influence. Yeah. And so she becoming a young model in New York City and has this, uh, you know, they, they sort of find Eileen Ford's address in the phone book, go visit her. Uh, Eileen Ford tells her that she's too fat, but Sharon uh, decides that this is what she's going to do. Another troubling story from the book had to do with her experience going under the knife, right? When she went to the doctor to get reconstructive surgery. So, so tell me about what all happened there. Well, yeah, it's like this incredible story where she has uh, uh, benign tumors that are quite large and she goes uh, undergoes surgery to get them removed. And uh, turns out that um, uh, while she's out, uh, the surgeon decides to increase her breast size uh, much larger than what they had agreed to. So she wakes up to this new body and uh, the surgeon basically tells her that he thought she'd look better this way and that it would sort of match her her figure. So of course it's like this outrageous, um, uh, you know, experience. And, uh, it's like what at that point, I, I, there's really not, not much that she could do. And she, you know, learns to live with it, but it's just this incredibly bizarre, you know, experience in it's her life. So terrifying. And then you, and you think about like, what else were you doing while I was, at, you know what I mean? Like that, that is, yeah. That's just right. such a, a horrific overstepping. Uh, she, she also opened up about some other experiences in Hollywood, uh, most notably her experience filming the movie Basic Instinct, of course, that iconic movie that everyone knows her from. Um, in the memoir, she talks about being tricked into taking off her underwear during that infamous cross-legged scene. So, so what else has she revealed about her time on set? It's a fascinating story. She really fought for that part, right? And she is, oh, I think she says, she might have said she was the 13th choice or definitely not the first choice, right? So she's fighting for this part. She gets the part. Uh, She knows she can do it. And um, in the scene of what she's talked about before, what she didn't know was that that part of her anatomy would be seen on screen. And she goes through for a split second. And she uh, recounts this scene where she finds out about it for the first time when she's watching it in a room with other people, agents, other Hollywood types. And that's when, for the first time, she uh, sees what's happened. And she goes through this really interesting odyssey of like, at first, I think she slaps Paul Verhoeven, the director, across the face, walks out, consults with her lawyer. And she is sort of grappling with this decision. Should I block it? Should I say um, uh, this scene can't be in the film, which she has the right to do legally? Or she ends up coming to terms with it and just sort of says, well, this is my body. I was aware that I was filming that scene. And uh, she realizes or comes, I guess, comes to realize that in a certain way that film, that, that scene needs to be in the film. Did she tie? Did she tie this into her conversation about um, the Me Too movement at all? I think it's so interesting about the book, right? It's not a Hollywood tell-all. She doesn't name names exactly. She describes some circumstances mm. uh, when um, uh, one of the, her second eldest son, I think, Laird, is a baby 
and uh, she is filming a movie, which she does not name. And says the director uh, keeps asking her to sit on his lap, something she refuses to do. Uh, and is also recommended that she have sex with her uh, co-star, who she doesn't name. And she talks a lot about often being the only woman on the these sets. You know, maybe there was one makeup person or, you know, one hair person, but she says she was sort of surrounded by males. There really was no one to talk to. I mean, and this woman at this point is a superstar. This is after Basic Instinct. But she talks a lot about how there there really was nowhere to go. Um, there really was no one to talk to. People did ask her to do outrageous things. She didn't. But she really wants to speak out so that other women know they can speak out. Wow. And and Liz, one more thing she spoke about that I think we should get into is, of course, her health struggle. She had that huge stroke in 2001, and it really just changed her life. So let's listen into what she told Oprah recently about the aftermath. What do you mean when you say you lost your beauty? Do you mean the power of it? My radiance went away. Ah. It isn't so much your beauty as your radiance. Mm. It's a radiance and a magnetism and a... Um, presence. Presence? Yeah, a presence. A vibrancy that comes from, first of all, from health. It comes from health. And well-being. And well-being and youth. And I think that... It comes from confidence, too. Wow. Uh, but, I mean, just her putting this this memoir out there, do you feel like she's she's getting some of that back? She's kind of owning her experience a little bit. I, I don't think her, of her as anything but radiant and powerful. Right. It's interesting when you hear her say that because you're... Yeah. She's, right? I think of her as one of the most radiant, powerful, strong women that I know in that world. And so just getting back to your, the first question, the stroke, she has a near-death experience, right? Not only is she given a two or 3% chance of surviving, she also has this moment of sort of, uh, um, sort of seeing the white light and then coming back. And so she sort of has maybe sort of a rebirth in a way. And uh, she a, has to fight her way back, fight her way back to Hollywood. And then uh, and just to sort of reestablish herself. And you really see so much of her and like, and what a survivor she she was. Wow. Well, this is kind of a must read. It, it really just gives you such a, an interesting, deep look into, you know, one of the biggest actresses in Hollywood's lives. So um, Liz, thank you for taking us through it. And I'm, I'm, I, I need to read it. I need, I need more. <laughs> it was great to talk to you, Janine. Guys, I am so happy and excited to be joined right now by just a multi-hyphenate boss, model, actress, artist, entrepreneur, certified life coach, and of course, the loving wife to R&B superstar Miguel Nazanin Mandi. Hi, Naz. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm really, really good. Thanks for talking to me today. Of course. And thank you for the amazing intro. I appreciate that. <laughs> You're welcome. Well, so let's jump into what you have really buzzing right now, Dreamcatcher. You're starring in this new film. Uh, it's it's scary. I'm not a horror film buff myself, but, you know, I'm going to get it together and, and, and try to watch this one. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. I promise. <laughs> and so without giving too much away, what can you tell us about the film? 
Oh, it's hard with thrillers, but so Dreamcatcher is based in the world of EDM. And DJ Dreamcatcher, he plays these amazing underground festivals. And one night, things don't go as planned. Things get crazy, they get wild, and they get bloody. So that's all I can say. Oh, okay. That's that's a good spin on it. Even though something about an EDM, you know, underground party sounds like things could go wrong, possibly. <laughs> oh, ab- no, absolutely. I mean, you just say that and you're like, oh, Something's this might be interesting. <laughs> How has life been for you since filming this 2020? What was your 2020 like? Now that we've sat back and be able to just be still, mm-hmm. you kind of really take into consideration what are priorities in life. So the whole process for me, it was at first very hard to sit still. I'm used to going and going and working and, and, you know, being out and about and, you know, having to be home and to be still and really deeply thinking about everything that's going on in the world. It, it does something to you for sure. And how has it been for you and Miguel? I know I've been married, what, 10 years now. And I, Congratulations. I, I thank you. I thought I knew this guy until we had to quarantine <laughs> for a year with two kids. <laughs> and now we oh, know each man. other in a whole different way. So what has it been like for you? You know, it feels different in a lot, but it's not. You know, we were used to being around each other a lot, but then we're also used to traveling a lot. Mm-hmm. So keeping the spark alive was definitely something we had to stay on because when you're in different cities, it's automatic to you feel excitement and, you know, you're out. And yeah. Out. But being home all the time, it's like, OK, we got to find new things to watch and to do and to read. <laughs> it was a lot. But overall, I mean, we did great. I, I can't have no complaints. There there should be no trouble keeping the spark alive with Miguel. I'm telling you this right now. <laughs> Just judging on his music alone. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. <laughs> Where are you guys going to jet off to when you get the chance, when you can finally just, when we're out of all of this? Gosh, it's that's so, like, hard to to narrow down. You know, we, Miguel and I really love Tokyo, Japan. That Ooh. is, we, we love the culture, we love the food, we love the fashion, the people. It's, we'll probably end up there. Amazing. Well, I, I'm wishing that on you and on all of us um, very soon once we get out of this. Nazanin, thank you so much for just stopping by the podcast and talking to me. Oh, thank you guys so much. Thank you for having me. Wishing you all the best. Coming up. People editor-at-large and resident bookworm Kim Hubbard gives her top picks on books written by and about women. Stick around. So what are you reading? That is a question that I often ask the woman I'm about to speak with, a woman who is also my very first boss at People Magazine, Kim Hubbard. Hi. Hi, Janine. So Kim is our editor-at-large, but also our esteemed books editor. She puts together all of the books that our readers turn to when they need to figure out how to have a good vacation, how to get away from it all, also how to just dig their heels into something really gritty. 
and dark in terms of the crime story. So, Kim, what do you have for us right now? We're in the midst of Women's History Month, but also National Reading Month. What are two of the books you're recommending? Wow, it's always something month, isn't it? <laughs> Let's see. The first one is not even one that I put in people because it's an older book, but it's very timely and it was just, it's going to be a Netflix movie. So it is current. Um, it's called Passing by Nella Larson. And it's a novel that was actually written in 1929. Nella Larson was a, one of the more famous writers of the Harlem Renaissance. And she only wrote a few books and then she couldn't get another contract and she ended up being a nurse for the rest of her life. So Wow, you hear that so much with a lot of the Black novel, like Zora Neale Hurston and just like not getting their flowers until it was too late. Right. There were plagiarism charges or something I read in one clip. Mm. I'm not sure what the deal was. But this book is really amazing. And it feels very modern. It's about two light-skinned Black women who were friends growing up in Chicago and then they lost touch and it turned out that one of them decided to pass and marry a white businessman and move away. And he is a horrible racist and they encounter each other. They just run into each other. And the other one married a black doctor. So they went very different ways, but they're sort of drawn to each other later in life. Mm. And the woman who married the white racist is very attracted to this life in the Harlem middle class that her old friend, whose name is um, Irene, has. And she keeps sort of insinuating herself into that life. She misses the life that she came from and sort of regrets what she did. And it's this sort of dance that they do. They're both very attracted to each other and kind of repelled by each other. Mm. It's kind of like the lives they each could have had. And it gets more and more dramatic. And there's a very violent, surprising ending. It's it's an amazing story. And I really didn't know anything about the Harlem Renaissance. It opens up that world for you. And yeah. it's almost like Edith Wharton. It's really, really good. Okay. Uh, Rebecca Hall bought the film rights and directed it. Yeah. Tell me about that. So we're going to see this. Yes. it's It already has played at Sundance and it got good reviews. And she, Rebecca Hall, apparently her grandfather was black and passed as a white person. And that's why she was particularly interested in the topic. Wow. So it sounds like a fascinating movie, too. So good. Yeah, it reminds me of I grew up watching Queen with Holly Berry. I, I was very young at the time. But I remember my mom sitting me down. You remember when you sat down in front of TV and yeah. it was like, I can't believe you did watch. that. You're so young. <laughs> Yeah, no, 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 I did. And I think Alex Haley was involved as well. This is in the wake of of Roots and all of that. But it was about Holly Berry's character passing and what that was like. And then she was discovered. It actually kind of had the same through line a little bit because someone kind of outed her in the movie when she was dating a white man and he, you know, took it out on her. That's so similar. Yeah, yeah. There was a part that that reminded me of Meghan and Harry because this woman who's passing has one child and she was really nervous how dark her daughter was going to be. She tells her old friend that she didn't dare try again because what if she had another baby and it turned out too dark? Oh my goodness. So when I heard those lines from the palace, I was like, oh my God, it's like 1929. When, When I heard that, it just brought it all all back, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. I mean, this one sounds like it's going to be good, and I'm excited to read it. I'm mad I missed it. I feel like I went through African-American history <laughs> studies and all that, and I missed this one. So thank you, Kim. <laughs> you're, you're still you're still au courant. 
Jenny, you don't have to worry. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so let's go into a newbie, a new book that's out now that you're recommending. And there's some twists there as well. Yeah, yes, there are. This is called Who is Maud Dixon? And it's a literary thriller. This book is by Alexandra Andrews, her name is, and it's her first book. And it's really impressive that she was able to do such a great job on the first time out. It is not really at all like the book, like Passing, that I just discussed. It's modern. It's completely different themes. But they both sort of stuck with me. And as I was thinking about them, there are some similar themes. Anyway, this is about a young woman named Florence Darrow, who really wants to be a novelist, but she sort of has more the desire than the, she's not like sitting down and doing it. She just wants to be a famous person writing books. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And she's stuck in a low-level publishing company job. She gets fired from that job, and then she gets mysteriously and inexplicably hired by this woman, Maude Dixon, who is the author of the moment. No one knows who she really is or what her real name is, but she's written a book. Mm. So she's kind of like the Banksy of of, of literature. Yes, or the Elena Ferrante, (laughs) as I like to think of it. (laughs) And so she goes to be her personal assistant. And the book that Maude wrote that's a huge hit is called Mississippi Foxtrot. And I thought, wow, that is such this a perfect title. Just you can just imagine that being, have you read Mississippi <laughs> yeah. Foxtrot? So she goes to work for her, and this woman is very strange and private and quirky. And soon Florence is trying to kind of take over her identity in small ways. She starts dressing Mm. like her and talking like her. And then there's a mysterious, terrible car accident. And uh, Maude appears to have died. And they're in Morocco. And so Florence decides she's really going to take on her identity, which you think is going to work. And then there's a twist. And Ah. Maude reappears. And she has nefarious intent. And so it's a very surprising ending that's violent in a similar way to the violence in Passing, strangely. Oh, no. But the theme of sort of intense female friendships and how women kind of define themselves in relation to their friends and when does envy turn into something darker or, you know, when is admiration helpful and when is it destructive? It's really fascinating and similar, although it has nothing to do with race, but it makes (laughs) you think about friendships, especially between women in a similar way. Oh, I love it. Well, Kim, thank you so much. And of course, Pick Up People magazine, you can see in every issue, we cover Kim's picks of the books that you need to be reading, the ones that make it through her litmus test. And it is a stringent one. (laughs) Yes, it is. (laughs) (laughs) So do that. Thanks, Kim. Okay. Thanks, Janine. That was Editor-at-Large Kim Hubbard. For more on her book recommendations, head over to People.com and check out her weekly book picks inside the issue. And now it's about time for something to make you smile. And this one's coming straight from the pages of People. So in the world of television, it's rare to do anything without hours-long hair and makeup sessions. But in this week's The Beautiful Issue, famed TV journalist Katie Couric went all natural for our no makeup feature. But what I loved most was her big beauty secret. Take a listen. I think living a life where you're happy, engaged, have gratitude, feel connected to your friends and family and loved ones and to the world at large, I think that's the most important beauty secret of all. Note taken. Thanks, Katie. And I'll talk to you guys tomorrow.